0: Thank you, Frank, for the introduction, and thank you all for joining us today. Um, I wanted to start by giving a bit of an introduction um, for why IFPRI and PIM are studying uh, innovations to improve agriculture insurance. Um, So millions of smallholder farmers rely on crop production for their livelihoods, which makes them vulnerable to unpredictable weather. And a large body of literature shows that when households are trying to cope with income losses from catastrophic weather events, um, damaging their crops, they resort to coping strategies that have long-term consequences. They might, for instance, reduce food consumption, which leads to malnutrition, or invest less in education. Because they are faced with so much uncertainty, farming households also under-invest in profitable agricultural activities um, to reduce their vulnerability. But this lowers their incomes, and as such it is difficult to climb out of poverty. And the publication referenced in this slide shows that global warming will only make this worse. Under different models for climate change, the developing world will become increasingly vulnerable to production risks and food insecurity. So in this context, agriculture insurance can help reduce smallholder farmers' vulnerability and unlock investments in agriculture. But insurance also faces a number of challenges. Um, First, the administrative costs of operating an insurance program, and in particular the costs per insurance transaction, are high relative to the amounts that smallholder farmers are trying to insure. And even if we can reduce those type of costs, for instance, by using mobile technology in the enrollment process and using mobile money, we are still faced with the issue that the insurer cannot observe everything that the insured farmer knows and does. Um, And this can give rise to adverse selection meaning that high-risk farmers are more likely to enroll into the scheme and to moral hazard, which means that insured farmers have less of an incentive to prevent crop damage. This increases expected insurance payouts and hence insurance premiums. Index-based insurance was designed to overcome these challenges by triggering payouts on the basis of an objective external index that the farmer cannot control or manipulate. For instance, the weather, vegetation, Or average yields in the area but also index based insurance has a number of challenges and a really important one is basis risk which means that the index that is used to determine how much a farmer should be paid out does not capture well the farmers actual conditions on the ground and related to this is also a lack of trust and understanding that farmers have in the conditions under which the product should pay out So in the next 30 minutes, Patrick and I will be presenting a number of innovations um, that IFPRI has been studying and working on in the past few years to address some of these challenges associated with index insurance. First, I will speak about the use of smartphone pictures for crop loss monitoring. And after that, Patrick will speak about adjusting index insurance to make it more compatible with climate smart agricultural practices and technologies. The first innovation that I've been studying together with a group of colleagues is a new concept that we call picture-based insurance um, in which farmers can send in pictures of their insured fields for claim settlement. The idea of picture-based insurance is simple. To enroll, farmers download a smartphone app to their phones and register um, in the smartphone app they take an initial picture of their field to lock in the field they want to enroll for claim settlement, and then they submit this picture to the insurer. And throughout the crop season, from sowing to harvest, the farmer takes regular follow-up pictures of the crop within the smartphone app. And together with other sources of information, such as uh, information from satellite imagery and weather data, these pictures are processed and analyzed to assess the extent of damage in order to determine the amount that a farmer should be paid out. Initially, the images in our evaluations are reviewed by experts. But as more data becomes available, one can imagine that models predicting damage based on the images, um, for instance, through machine learning, will become more accurate. So in the future, we are hoping to automate this process, which is, of course, important to to scale up this approach. Um, The smartphone app, that we have is designed to be as tamper-proof as possible, and all pictures are geotagged and time-stamped. And farmers cannot access pictures from the gallery to edit the images, and for instance, apply a drought filter. Um, this also applies to an initial picture that farmers take at the time of enrollment, which is saved within the app. Um, and then every time that they take a follow-up picture. They will see the initial picture as a transparent image in the screen, overlay this with what they see in their field in order to make sure that they take follow-up pictures of the exact same location as the initial picture. Now, the idea behind these standardized procedures is that it helps documenting not only whether the crop is damaged, but also whether the crop was growing well before the damage occurred. And in this way, the pictures help overcome problems of asymmetric information between the insurer and the insured, because now the insurer has eyes on the ground. To test this concept, um, we conducted a formative evaluation in Haryana and Punjab, two states in northwestern India. Um, And here we focused on wheat because this is what most farmers grow in the winter season. Farmers in the study um, received an insurance product for one acre of their wheat, conditional on taking pictures showing the growth of their wheat, following the standardized procedures that I just described. The product had both a weather index component, and it also provided coverage for any damage from natural causes visible in the stream of pictures. Now in what follows, I will present four key results from this formative evaluation. A first question that we asked in the study was whether it is possible for agronomists to assess losses from the stream of pictures and whether their loss assessments help reduce basis risk compared to the weather index based component. To address this question, we compared average yields for farmers without and with insurance payouts and we would want to see of course lower yields among farmers with insurance payouts. But that's not what we found for the weather index based component. Average yields for farmers without a payout and for farmers with payout were almost the same. This means that there were farmers with payouts who did not suffer severe damage. Well, there were also farmers who did suffer damage, but not receiving a payout. And that is what we mean by basis risk. For the picture-based loss assessments, we found much better results. Here we measured significantly lower yields for, far- for fields that agronomists have classified as having more damage. And this means that farmers with higher insurance payouts also were the farmers with more damage, which is indicative of lower basis risk. And that is something that could potentially really help improve demand and the impacts of insurance products. And we also explored, together with Koen Hufkens from Ghent University, whether it is possible to use the pictures for growth stage monitoring. And what we found is that indeed the greenness of the pictures, which we show here on the vertical axis, is closely associated with crop growth stages. In the tillering phase, when soil is still visible, greenness is slowly increasing. Then when the greenness um, passes a first threshold, the wheat has entered the stem extension phase. And finally, once the greenness starts declining and drops below a second threshold, the crop has started heading and ripening. Now this could be potentially helpful for insurance policies that are trying to target specific growth stages during which the crop is actually at risk, which in our case was mostly the heading and ripening phase in the case of India uh, in the Northwest. And so what an insurance insurer could do in this example is to use the smartphone pictures to monitor growth stages um, and, and to instead of cover farmers during the entire period in which farmers might be at risk, in this case from early February to mid April, um, to actually adjust the period to when a specific farmer is at risk. For instance, farmers who enter the heading and ripening phase earlier, starting in early February to end of March, and for others, um, this could be um, early March to mid-April. Now, this would, for every insured farmer, it would reduce the coverage period, the length of the coverage period, and that could help reduce insurance premiums. And also reduce basis risk. Now it's worth noting here also that if we were using satellite imagery and vegetation indices derived from satellite imagery we were unable to predict the transition into different growth stages as well and so that indicates that the pictures could really provide extra value. So our findings combined so far indicate that picture-based loss monitoring can one help reduce basis risk um, and that the pictures can potentially also be used to monitor crop growth stages, which can help further reduce the cost of providing weather index-based insurance. Then as a the next question, we look into the economic viability of picture-based loss monitoring. Um, and as a start, we compare demand for different types of insurance with fairly comparable premium rates. In this figure, we plot the demand for insurance as a function of the insurance premium. When premiums um, would be 5% of the sum insured, which is the rate that farmers pay for commercial crops under India's National Crop Insurance Scheme, we see significantly higher demand for picture-based insurance shown by the green line than for weather index-based insurance, which we are showing as the orange line. And demand is largest for the combined product offering both types of coverage without really significantly increasing costs. This suggests that farmers are willing to pay for improved insurance coverage that is also more tangible for them because they build a track record of their damage using the smartphone pictures. A fourth issue that we looked into um, is whether the use of pictures induces farmers to start tampering with pictures and whether it creates moral hazard. Eliminating this is also important from a viability point of view, because tempering or moral hazard could really drive up insurance premiums. So for that, to test whether the system of standardized procedures put in place was sufficient to eliminate tempering and moral hazard, we used an experiment in which we randomized whether farmers were offered the weather index-based components only, or that same product with weather index-based insurance, but with coverage um, for visible damage in their picture. So more picture-based insurance. If this creates moral hazard, picture-based insurance, we would expect lower yields or more damage on the fields. Of that, we actually do not find evidence. Also interesting is that we did not find an effect of picture-based insurance coverage on the use of various inputs, fertilizers, pesticides, labor. And this suggests to us that at least in this formative evaluation, um, insurance coverage did not make farmers negligent of their plots or stop adopting any risk prevention measures. Of course, this is something to keep monitoring um, and testing whether moral hazard remained limited in our study because of the standardized procedures that we put in place or because farmers still have to learn how exactly picture-based loss monitoring would work and that they could um, play the system. But overall, these are really encouraging results, showing both the technical feasibility but also the potential economic viability of this approach. Now, in terms of next steps, um, we are working with an insurance company in India, HDFC Ergo, to take this a step further. We have worked with HDFC from the very start of this project with HDFC pricing and underwriting the risk of using picture-based loss monitoring. And they're very interested in using this approach on a larger scale in their existing insurance products. We also have concrete plans on working with the private insurance sector in Kenya on introducing picture based loss monitoring in their insurance products. We also are working to automate image processing and damage detection using these images, but this requires large data sets for training and validation and past images. Now, to mobilize these data, one can already work with the approach that we have developed now, with experts visually inspecting the images. At a fraction of the cost, um, of, uh, at a fraction of what it would cost to send an insurance adjuster into the field to verify claims. A third aspect that is important is evaluating the impacts of this insurance approach, and for that we are focusing on high-value but risky horticulture crops. Um, in doing so, we are paying special attention to inclusiveness, in particular to issues around the use of techn- technology for potential beneficiaries that may not be as familiar with smartphones, for instance, women and the elderly. Um, And then finally, um, we are looking into the enabling environment for this type of insurance to work. For instance, whether there are complementarities with agro advisory services on which we have a set of exciting results that I'm happy to speak more on um, if there is more time during the Q&A. One could also think of bundling with climate smart technologies on which Patrick will say more in a bit. Now with that, I'd like to conclude with how we envision our findings being used. And we don't see picture-based insurance as a standalone product, but rather that it is integrated in existing insurance approaches, index-based insurance to monitor fields and cover risks that the standard index did not capture, like a fail-safe trigger. This could help reduce basis risk, Um, improve farmer engagement in the process, and make the product more tangible for farmers. So with that, um, I'd like to hand it over to Patrick. Thank you.
1: Great. It took me a while there to figure out how to how to unmute myself. Okay, um, great. Thank great. you, Berber. Uh, um, so I'm going to be discussing some preliminary results from a randomized controlled trial that I've been conducting uh, with some colleagues at IFPRI to evaluate, uh, as Berber mentioned, a, a comprehensive uh, risk management product that bundles together uh, climate smart agricultural uh, technologies with a uh, with an uh, uh, an index insurance product. Now we conducted this in the state of odisha uh, Odisha, which is in eastern India along the Bay of Bengal. Um, odisha is uh, traditionally known as um, the disaster hub of of india it's it's been prone to various natural hazards um, over over the years It's historic Berkeley been known particularly for the, the impacts of, of, of cyclones uh, because it, it does lie on the coast. Uh, but importantly there, there are many parts of Odisha that have been prone to, to droughts historically and particularly the area that we have been focusing on uh, is an area that has historically been, been very drought prone. It's, it's an area that relies primarily on uh, rain-fed rice production during the monsoon season as its primary agricultural, agricultural activity. Um, And because the the crop is is rain-fed and because of the vagaries of the annual monsoon uh, and the increasing uncertainty with the the arrival and departure of the monsoon, the farm households in these areas are especially susceptible to drought. Uh, When we think about droughts and the effects of droughts on agriculture, uh, there are really two types of impacts that the droughts inflict. The ex-post impacts are very obvious and tangible. Uh, These result from the drought itself and manifest themselves in uh, production losses for the affected crops uh, and livestock, uh, natural resource depletion, and a depletion of household assets as the households then attempt to smooth the consumption in the midst of these production losses that they're experiencing from the the droughts. Importantly, however, there are also uh, what are known as ex-ante impacts that arise simply due to the nature of drought risks. not knowing when or how severe a drought could potentially occur leads farmers to act in an overly conservative fashion, very similar to you know one of the one of the earlier slides that that Verber was showing. Um, and so farmers forego productive investments that could increase their expected productivity uh, in attempts to reduce the the variance of their productivity or their their exposure to to risk. So this may ultimately be a a less risky path for farmers to take but it also diminishes their long-run productivity uh, and and growth trajectory and potentially ensnares them in a pernicious poverty trap. Agricultural insurance offers farmers a means with with transferring risk and, in theory, could alleviate both the ex-ante and the ex-post impacts of droughts. Um, Unfortunately, as we've seen in numerous examples over the years, many agricultural insurance programs have had limited success to put it mildly, Uh, and and this is for a number of reasons, many of which Berber has has mentioned previously. One particular um, approach that has arisen uh, with previous programs is to bundle agricultural insurance with Climate Smart Agricultural Technologies and Practices, or CSA for short. Uh, So why should we consider bundling CSA with uh, an insurance component? The logic behind this is is seen in this graphic here. Uh, Many CSA technologies perform better than conventional technologies under increasing drought intensities, which in turn implies that there is less drought risk on the intensity spectrum that would need to be insured against. Uh, This reality in turn uh, implies that the actuarially fair cost of the complementary insurance needed to cover the remaining drought intensities on the spectrum is less than it would be for an insurance component designed to pair with the conventional crop uh, crop varieties. Um, the specific CSA technology that was used in the bundled product in our research was a drought-tolerant rice variety. Uh, in India, it's marketed as Sabaki Dan, um, but it has a very similar genetic lineage to several other varieties that are that are being promoted throughout South Asia, uh, including Viridon 56 in Bangladesh or Sukadan 1 in Nepal. Uh, so when I say they have similar uh, genetic lineages, they share at least one of the same um, parental lines uh, as these other varieties. Um, so Sabag-idhan, uh has a couple of features that make it advantageous for cultivation in drought-prone conditions. Uh, first, uh, it's a short duration variety, uh, considerably shorter than, than many of the other prominent mega varieties that are grown in eastern India. And because of its short, dura- uh, short duration, uh, it al- that allows it to escape uh, prolonged dry spells that occur at either the beginning or the end of the monsoon season. Uh, secondly, by its genetic features, uh, again derived from its parental lines, it is able to withstand prolonged periods without rainfall that other commonly grown uh, monsoon rice varieties uh, would not be able to withstand. It's also a relatively high yielding variety even during normal conditions with either irrigation or adequate adequate rainfall. Um, so there's no yield penalty for growing this drought tolerant variety during normal conditions. Uh, but where it really shows its benefits is during uh, periods of drought stress in which uh, it overperforms by a, by a fairly large degree many of these other commonly grown varieties. The weather index uh, component that was bundled together with Sabaki Don was calibrated to begin paying off when uh, the uh, drought severity reached approximately what would be deemed a severe level. Now, defining a a drought as severe uh, is a little bit of art and a little bit of science. I mean, we we, we did look at historical data to see to see what you know, sorts of droughts had had varying de- degrees of impacts. We also looked at the literature to see how severe droughts were defined. And again, as I as I mentioned, it requires a little bit of a little bit of nuance in order to really understand what you know where the fine line is between a moderate or a severe or an extreme drought. Suffice it to say, we we. We ballparked it and 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 structured the insurance to to begin paying out when the drought severity got to what might be deemed as, as severe levels, and the payoffs that we uh, that we built into the insurance component were structured to be roughly equivalent to uh, the value of lost production that farmers might experience during these severe droughts. Uh, the coverage area that uh, um, we allocated for each unit of insurance was one-tenth of an acre um, in Odisha they refer to these as uh, a hundredth of an acre is equal to a decimal so this was equal to, to 10 decimals uh, and and given the the relatively small uh, farm sizes for the the farmers that we were dealing with um, this wasn't a, a a minute portion of their of their total landholding this was a, this was a non-trivial amount of their, of their landholding. Uh, the bundle products was marketed to farmers in our treatment villages. Again, this is a randomized controlled trial, so we have treatment and controlled villages. Uh, it was marketed to the, the farmers in our treatment villages through a series of information sessions uh, that were organized by our implementing partner. Uh, but since this was a two-year randomized evaluation, we were able to vary the pricing structure from year to year to test A, how sensitive farmers were to the product prices, and then B, how the framing of the price chain uh, affected farmers' uptake rates. Now, I'll get a little bit into greater detail what I mean by framing of the, the price change. Uh, in the first year of the study, we we saw really high uptake, or what we thought was, was considerably high uptake, about 59% of eligible farmers purchased insurance, um, and again, we thought this was particularly high given that it was priced close to actuarially fair. Uh, so again, contrary to the you know, the long-held notion that farmers wouldn't be willing to pay for insurance unless it was discounted dramatically. Um, but because of this was the first year of our study, and for many of the farmers, this was their first exposure to uh, agricultural insurance, there was a little bit of tepidity um, in that most farmers only purchased a, a relatively low coverage level. In the second year, the uptake levels dropped quite a bit, um, down to only about 36 uh, percent. The price for the product in the second year was actually above the actuarially fair price. So again, we're trying to move closer to what might be expected from a commercial product offering, rather than a you know an offering from a, from a research organization or an NGO. Um, so in, in many ways, this drop off reflects farmers' sensitivity to the, the increase in price from year to year. In the second year, we also attempted to, uh, to isolate the effect of framing the, the price change, how that affected the, the level of uptake. So what I mean by, by framing of the price change, um, we, we randomly allocated a quote-unquote artificial subsidy. Um, so in essence, the, across the board, the effective price that the farmers were paying was essentially the same. Uh, within district, we we allowed for prices to to vary across district to reflect differing degrees of uh, drought risk exposure and and different productivity levels, uh, but within districts, the the prices were the same, um, but but certain villages were randomly selected to uh, to be informed that the price that they was being offered was a quote unquote subsidized price, even though the fact. Uh, the, the price was actually the same as what other uh, villages in that district would be receiving it was marketed as a subsidized price to to again see if farmers would respond differently to something that was being offered as subsidized rather as a, a take-it-or-leave-it offering uh, interestingly there was essentially no difference in the uptake rates between the group that received the quote-unquote subsidized product versus those that didn't and I'll, I'll come back to this uh, in, just, in just a moment. Uh, when we consider the, the patterns of uptake across the two years of the experiment, we were encouraged that roughly a quarter of our sample purchased the product in both years. Um, what is discouraging, however, is that uh, about 30% of, of the farmers um, in, our, in our sample didn't purchase the product in either year, and an additional 33% uh, dropped out of the market after the first year, and and were not replenished by a proportional measure of farmers who entered the market in year two after having sat out of the market in year one. So our next task was to then try and figure out uh, what explains these uptake patterns. Uh, Since the nature of these decisions changed from one year to the next based on the changes in the pricing structure and at least in the second year, the experiences uh, that they had had in that first year, we wanted to look at the decisions separately for year one and year two of the experiment. To do so, we considered the production decision, or the, the sorry, the purchase decision, in each year to be a sequential process in which first the farmers decided whether or not to purchase, the uh, to participate in the the product market, and then only have having arrived at an affirmative on this first stage they then decide how intensely they want to participate. That is, they decide how many units of the drought-tolerant index insurance product to purchase. Now, there are a couple of factors that we might expect to influence uptake across these two years. Uh, Many of the factors we would expect to be the same, um, but one thing that we, we did expect is that in year two. Uh, we expected farmers to to have learned from their own experiences in year one uh, and then also potentially learning from their neighbors' experiences in year one and particularly learning from their experiences in purchasing and then if they also experienced a drought that should we we thought should have some influence as to whether or not they would be interested in purchasing the product in year two now I should mention that out of the six blocks in which we worked. So we worked in three districts in Odisha. Within each of those districts, two blocks, which are sub-district administrative units, um, three out of those six blocks experienced a drought during the first year based on uh, uh, the, uh, the rainfall measurements that we collected. So again, this was a rainfall-based index insurance. So when we looked at the factors that were uh, affecting farmers' decisions to participate in the markets, um, we found that, the, as expected, price uh, was an important factor, um, but it was really only important in terms of whether or not they made they made that binary decision to enter into the market. It didn't have any effect on how intensely they participated in the market. In other words, it didn't really affect how many units of insurance, how many units of the the DTWII product they purchased. Now, part of that. Could be a, a spurious non result because we exogenously limited the number of units that could be purchased. Um, so that's pr- potentially why we, we don't see much of an effect on the intensity of participation. Um, but we do find fairly strong evidence that peer effects crowded in participation. So if a farmer in a particular village had several other farmers in his village who were also participating in the the product market that farmer was also more likely to participate. Uh, We found that risk aversion didn't have any effect on participation but did tend to mute the intensity of participation. Uh, We thought this was a little bit counterintuitive since risk averse farmers should in fact benefit more from the risk management than less risk averse farmers but we came to the realization that because this is a, a new product Um, This effect could arise from farmers simply being leery of an unfamiliar product. And additionally, since the weather index component does retain some element of basis risk, this could simply reflect farmers' aversion to uninsured basis risk events. When we looked at year two, the results suggested strongly that own experience in, in year one matter a great deal. So, for example, if farmers purchased the product in year one and subsequently experienced a drought, as determined by our index, uh, which then implies that they received an insurance payout, they were more likely to participate in year two and also to participate more intensely. The experience of one's neighbors, on the other hand, didn't have an effect. Uh, But this is perhaps uh, due to the fact that it's difficult to observe neighbors' experiences, or at least difficult to observe neighbors' experiences with the insurance component of the product and since the insurance component of the product uh, contributes the greatest portion to the overall price of the product uh, it seemed it stands to reason that farmers would, would need to somehow observe really compelling evidence from their neighbors to move the needle and evidently they didn't they didn't see that compelling evidence but as in year one we did see that um, Contemporaneous peer effects crowded in participation, and in this case, also the intensity of participation. Now, again, because the purchasing decisions were were made during these uh, information sessions, which were essentially group meetings, uh, it's it's very likely that there was a, um, a wanting to be seen type of effect going on. Farmers didn't want to be didn't want to be seen as as not being part of the in crowd and so that might have that might be explaining why we see this crowding in effect from from peers um, as I previously mentioned there was not this effect of framing a price change as a subsidy on increasing demand now I think this is a really interesting result um, because the argument is often made and I've been guilty of making it myself that subsidies are generally required to sustain insurance programs at least in the early years of the program as farmers learn more about the way that the insurance product work they learn more about probabilities and magnitudes of potential losses um, there's, there's also this prevailing mentality in South Asia um, that farmers suffer from subsidy syndrome and won't do anything uh, that is socially optimal unless the government steps in and and, and provides them with some incentive to do so. Uh, What our finding implies is that, you know, although farmers are sensitive to price as would be expected, uh, they would prefer cheaper products to more expensive products, the way that price reductions are framed may not really matter. And this has important policy implications as it implies that Potentially more sustainable and less distortionary public policies that aim at reducing the overall cost of the product could actually stimulate demand without all the negative side effects that subsidies typically entail, or the the deadweight losses. There are also many alternatives um, that 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 could stand as as potential you know, alternative sources of of public policies. Um, Things like increasing investments in seed research and development uh, to develop better drought tolerant cultivars. Uh, Investments in building more or more accurate weather stations to collect the weather data needed to form the basis of the the weather index. Or investing in uh, remote sensing technologies to improve the granularity with which uh, loss assessments can be made Um, and and to do so at at a very low cost really there's a great number of of different investments that governments could make in an attempt to reduce the the cost of the the product even if it's just reducing basis risk and thus reducing the psychological cost so why does all this matter Um, let me draw us back to where we started which was this discussion of the ex ante and ex post effects of droughts Uh, so can a DTWII product like this Offset some of these drought effects. I don't yet have results to share from this particular study, but I do have results from a, from a randomized controlled trial that was conducted in northwestern Bangladesh with a similarly structured weather index insurance product, um, though in this particular case it wasn't bundled to a drought-tolerant rice cultivar like we are, were talking about here. But the results from this other study suggest that perhaps this can. Uh, In this other study, um, which was just recently accepted in Journal of Development Economics, we find that insurance itself yields both ex-ante and ex-post effects that could potentially offset the ex-ante and ex-post drought risk effects. So the ex-ante effects uh, include increased investments in uh, modern agricultural inputs and more intensive rice production during the monsoon season, uh, while also enticing farmers to diversify crop production into non-rice crops that are presumably higher value than 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 rice. During the, uh, during the dry season, the ex post effects uh, include increased investments in, again, modern inputs, while also increasing rice production uh, along the extensive margin. They're expanding their area of rice production during during this during this drier season and, and also attaining higher yields. Uh, so, the anti effects that arose during the coverage period can be attributed to simple risk mitigation effects, while the ex post effects that arose during uh, after the coverage period when the when the farmers were no longer insured can be attributed to income effects. Notably, the increase in expenditures over the course of the two seasons was ab- about twice as much as what farmers could have possibly uh, received. If you look at a, at a per unit of insurance basis, the increase in expenditures was roughly double what the maximum insurance payout would have been. Uh, so this, you know, even when we abstract from factoring in the probability of uh, drought droughts occurring, uh, this suggests that, that viable risk management solutions can have some type of, of multiple effect on agricultural investments that can have long-term impacts on farmer productivity and ultimately on their livelihoods. Um, So now I get to offer a few concluding remarks before we uh, take some questions. First and foremost I think it's really an exciting time to be a a researcher working on the field of agricultural insurance. Uh, Certainly agricultural insurance has been around for a long time but historically there, there have been a number of challenges associated uh, with the the successful implementation and diffusion of agricultural insurance. The agricultural research community, of which Berber and I and many others are a part, uh, we've been active in in innovating and identifying research-based solutions to agricultural insurance, including the development of index-based insurance programs that can minimize the severity of adverse selection and moral hazard, and the use of cutting-edge remote sensing technologies. Now, while there have been these great contributions from the agricultural research community, we're in no position to rest on our laurels uh, or pat ourselves on the back. Um, There's still continued room for improvement and innovation. Uh, The good news is that this research community is well positioned to make continued contributions. There is probably more scope for additional research to better understand what aspects of crop insurance Farmers' value and to make inframarginal changes around the existing crop insurance programs to better cater those to the needs of, of farmers, um, particularly if the existing crop insurance program is a policymaker's pet project that is unlikely to, to go away. Um, I think there's also great hope, or it, it seems as though people are holding out a lot of great hope. For, uh, for the use of remote sensing technologies uh, as a way of assessing losses um, and particularly the, the cost savings uh, that could be passed on to farmers uh, and, and potentially increase the overall utilization of crop insurance. Unfortunately, the, the current generation of open access or um, even affordable satellite imagery that could be used for uh, remote sensing indices seems to be still too coarse for, for plot level loss assessments and, and that some, seems to be something that farmers really value is a loss assessment as close to their own field as possible um, Berber's work I think has, has done a very nice job of demonstrating that solutions technological solutions uh, do exist that can complement remote sensing techniques and circumvent some of these challenges with the, the coarsity of the the RS imagery um, her picture based insurance product uh, demonstrates that it is certainly possible to engage farmers directly uh, in capturing a stream of smartphone photographs to document crop losses, and to do so in such a way that you can minimize the moral hazard and ensure that they are properly managing their crop throughout the duration of the season. And going forward, I think um, agricultural researchers will uh, continue to play an important role in evaluating and validating these different types of interventions um, do in no small part to their subject matter expertise and ability to provide important ground-truthing. I think we also can play an important role by positioning insurance as one of uh, a larger portfolio of risk management tools. Uh, Smallholder farmers can protect their livelihoods from agricultural production risk not only through insurance, but also through savings, credit, uh, informal insurance and, and risk-coping networks, and as some of my, my research has pointed out, through the, the utilization of, of crop-smart agricultural uh, technologies and practices like drought-tolerant varieties. Um, and in fact, I, I think uh, we've demonstrated the, the viability of bundling insurance with this drought-tolerant cultivar, but I think there are many other uh, forms of climate-smart agriculture that could be fruitfully employed in this type of comprehensive risk management bundle. And beyond just bundling insurance with, with climate-smart agriculture, it's also possible to bundle insurance with some of these other tools that farmers can use to to deal with risk. Uh, so, for example, many farmers rely on credit to purchase agricultural inputs. Uh, but since the, the lump sum payments needed are generally in excess of their liquid holdings, and in many cases, formal credit institutions don't don't exist or aren't very well aren't very well established in many rural areas. Many farmers don't necessarily have the collateral with which to take loans. It's possible that bundling insurance with a credit product could help to relax some of the uh, some of the constraints that might otherwise inhibit farmers from from accessing the the credit that they need to to purchase productive inputs uh, to to help ensure a more Sustain and sustainable livelihoods for both them and their family um, so those are uh, some of the the conclusions that, that I think uh, emerge from the the two presentations that we've heard today uh, I'll hand it back over to uh, to my colleagues in Washington to uh, to start compiling some questions for Berber and I to address
2: great thank you thank you very much uh, Patrick and to Berber we did receive a few questions I'm going to start off with a couple Technical-oriented ones that they had about your different uh, interventions, let's say. Um, so let me start with Berber because she had. There were a few more on the picture-based insurance. So uh, a couple of questions around that were, um, you know, what what are how do you practically implement this with farmers? What instructions are given to them about the uh, the area, the angles, etc.? Is training needed? How you know how do you actually roll this out? So that's one. Uh, What are the the time and costs involved in taking the photos and having them analyzed with the existing mechanism that you have a panel of experts before this machine learning is able to take place? Um, And uh, is the product available for use by others at the moment? I mean, is this something that others could use and test out? Um, So uh, I'll start with those three for, for Berber, and then um, then uh, for Patrick, you could. I'll just give you a couple of questions that you can think about while Berber's answering hers. So there was just a couple more questions about your the rice uh, technology, uh, Patrick. The the Sabar, Don Dan uh, variety you mentioned was short duration. So it's, uh, there was a question about well, how short is it? Is it really? Is it much more advantageous than existing ones? And what what is the average yield? And how does that compare with the other types of varieties they had? Um, so that was the, tech. so let's go with those two and then I'll come back to others. So
0: first Okay, thank perfect. you so much for these questions. Um, the first question, how to practically implement this. Um, there's a small amount of training that is needed, um, just at the time of enrollment, which would be the moment that the kind of the interaction that an insurance agent um, has with a farmer. And this can be done in these plenary marketing sessions, for instance. Um, what we're instructing farmers is to take a picture facing north, so away from the sun, because the sun, the shades would otherwise come in a picture, um, and to take a picture, kind of an overview picture in which the, the middle is about seven or it's like 15 meters away um, from where they stand, from the from the side of the plot. Um, other than that, there's in the, um, in the smartphone app there's a red line indicating where they should align the horizon and uh, in the smartphone app we're also planning on bringing in a compass that it reads in the compass from the phone because all smartphones nowadays have that feature built in and so in that way we can build in more and more things to make the process easier Um, but yeah there is a little bit of hand holding needed in the beginning of the season like when the farmer starts to enroll for the first time other than that, in terms of the time and the costs involved, it's it's fairly limited. Um, it's not so much that we bring the panel of experts all together, but they are on their own time, just signing on on the website and reviewing the series of pictures. Um, and 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 one loss assessment takes them maybe about five minutes, so it doesn't take too much time. And you could imagine doing this only for farmers. Who make claims of having crop damage so that they only focus on those. And so that will reduce the time burden further. Um, we have calculated the cost of loss assessment to be around $1 per farmer for a policy that would be um, uh, paying out, having a sum insured of about $100. So the, the order of magnitude is fairly small and and, and similar to what you would see. Um, a small percentage of the sum insured, um, it, which you would also have when you're using, for instance, weather station data or when you have to implement seasonal monitoring in order to track the quality of your product. Um, so so yeah, the, the panel of experts is actually, I think the big cost saving is that the agronomers don't need to go into the fields anymore to physically inspect what has happened on on the sites and so taking out that step of having to physically go to the field um, with that this approach is really cutting down a lot of the costs. Um, And then um, the product available so we are happy to work with people Um, people can contact me Um, we have a smartphone application that we're happy to share with people to try out. Um, in, and, and happy to, to think about how to set up the servers that people can can try, start trying this out in their own countries with their own target populations, because that's ultimately the goal of why we are in this. We are delivering a public good, um, and, and so we would really encourage people to start using the tools that we have already developed.
2: Great. Okay, Patrick, to over to you about this, the rice variety. Can you mention a few more aspects of it? <clears throat>
1: Yeah, sure. So the uh, the particular rice variety that we were working with uh, Sabagi Don, it uh, it takes about eighty six days for it to reach fifty uh, percent flowering, which is about twenty days shorter than Swarna, which is one of the the most common commonly grown varieties in in eastern India. Uh, in terms of yields, during normal conditions or, or well irrigated conditions, it it Yields about a tenth of a ton less per hectare than Swarna, um, but as I mentioned before, under it's it's when it when we get to drought stress um, conditions that that it really starts to to show its benefits, and it yields about 50% higher during um, moderate drought stress conditions, and 150% higher than Swarna during severe drought stress conditions. Sure. Now I should mention the the fact that it has this short duration um as i mentioned during during my, my my talk it it allows for farmers to potentially escape droughts that occur at either end of the of the monsoon season so if the monsoons are are late to arrive then delaying the uh delaying the sowing of the seed uh won't necessarily result in in reduced yields by the time it comes to December or whenever when it when it's when it's harvest time. Similarly, if you get the get the crop in the ground, uh, you know during the normal time, and you know the you're you're transplanting when the first monsoon rains arrive in early July, you, you can harvest early and potentially throw in a, a a short duration crop in between the the monsoon season and the the dry season to take advantage of some of the residual soil moisture. So there's Great. there's lots of potential benefits for having the this right. short duration.
2: Crop. Great. Uh so I have a few more questions for both of you so let me see if I can squeeze them in. So let me continue with you Patrick uh, first. So there's a a couple questions uh a question came in and I had one as well about the your package that you've developed with CSA so a question that came in was, well how, how long did it actually take to develop this new product so to be to, to know you know the, the the risk reduction potential of, the, of this variety and, and put it into a, a, a viable product that could be be sold and then the, another question related was, once you have that product, how many how many subscribers does it take to make it commercially viable or, or of interest to a firm So that was one set of questions and my uh, a related one was. I think for the rice variety it's probably was well tested enough that you could develop a product you know and price it properly but for a lot of other csa technologies uh, you know if you think about conservation agriculture micro catchments water there's a whole variety of them do we actually have enough information that you could develop a product around that around the yeah.
1: yeah no that's that's a that's a really good point frank and and I think I think you you're you're absolutely right that we we don't necessarily have uh, real good information on the performity of some of these different technologies over different environmental hazards, and certainly I think um, the the variation in uh, in performance from experimental stations to farmer fields uh, also throws uh, throws a bit of a, a curveball at us when we, when we would think about how to apply you know a, a bundling uh, approach to to those kind of technologies. I'll just I'll just say that I, I think it's it's possible but there, there I think is is a, a need for additional research to, to really figure out how to how to appropriate leverage, leverage the, the the complementarity of these of these two features um, now when it comes to how long it takes to develop a, a product like this I mean I started doing research on these drought tolerant varieties back in 2013 um, and over the course of say, 2013 to 2015, did some um, what might be considered like market-oriented research, trying to understand what sorts of demand there was for these drought-tolerant varieties, and then looking at, you know, bundling these two, bundling the the, the drought-tolerant variety and and a complementary insurance product together, what sorts of effect would that have on the overall demand for, for this type of product? One of the things that I found in, in repeated studies both in India and in, in Bangladesh was that farmers could could perceive the, the benefit of packaging these two products together in such a way that, that, that there was this complementarity and in fact like a multiplier effect on what farmers would be willing to pay for having this comprehensive uh, product, so it, it did take you know a, a, a decent amount of time to to you know to sit down and, and do the the market research. It took a took a, a good chunk of time to, to you know figure out how to design the insurance product, the insurance portion of the product, so that it was optimized to to match the performance profile of the drought tolerant variety. Um, and I think that's where you know going back to, to my original comment. That's where, you know, trying to form, formalize one of these bundled products with practices like conservation agriculture or like microcatchments, where we don't necessarily know what that performance profile looks like under various environmental stresses, makes makes those types of bundles uh, more challenging for us to to fully uh, develop.
2: Yeah. Good. Great, thanks. Let me now come back to Berber. We have only two more minutes officially, but I will have to take a couple extra just to squeeze in a few of the questions that have just come in. So, uh, Berber, there was a couple questions that came in around um, the use, your the continued use, let's say, the bundling of wet weather based in index insurance with the PBI. Um, so, one 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 of the questions that came in was to say, well. Would it be better to use a, a area yield index rather than the weather-based index, given the problems with the weather-based index? And then similarly was uh, what, it, what is the remaining – since you show, you've shown that the weather-based index uh, used did not really discern farmers who really have suffered a loss or not very well, what's the remaining utility of it if you also have picture-based insurance? So those are two related ones. And then finally a uh, uh, last one, let's if I could squeeze in on this, is there was a question about which what what are the types of farmers that are actually using you know using an, uh, uh this and, and interested. Are they is it across the board? Are they tend to be more literate, etc.? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: those are again great questions. Um So the reason why we are using a weather index based insurance product, linking picture based insurance with that instead of area yield is that area yield is just very difficult to implement. Um, And so the state government has a whole machinery doing crop cutting experiments in India and also has an area yield index based insurance scheme. Um, but we cannot access those data on a timely basis. These data are also quite sensitive. Um, And um, before the data are released even sort of to organizations that are directly working within the crop insurance scheme, there is a lot of discrepancies and sensitivities in these data that need to be resolved. So for us to use these kind of crop cutting experiments that the government is doing anyways for us it's not feasible because we cannot access those data on time Um, actually in fact one of the main complaints about the the, the national insurance scheme in India is that the payouts are coming so late because with the crop cutting experiments and disputes between insurers and government on what the final yield estimates are there is a lot of of, of kind of settlement and disputes that need to be resolved first, um, so this is why we are using weather index-based insurance because it is a really the data is just available almost real time, and so for us it's it's possible um, to do this. Now, of course, um, it does have its weaknesses. The weather index-based insurance uh, products um and the the main reason for why despite its performance in the first year of the formative evaluation why we keep using it is that in the first year of the formative evaluation the product paid out to 20% of farmers but no there were not that many farmers that actually suffered severe damage from the weather events that were covered by the product so in a way the product made payouts to farmers that shouldn't have received payouts Um, It might be that we were just in a lucky year and that um, in one or two years from now, there's um, a heat wave and farmers really suffer damage. And the thing about heat waves is that if this affects the wheat during the flowering phase, it affects the grains inside the wheat, but you're not going to be able to see it from the smartphone pictures. And so that's one reason for why we keep using weather index-based insurance, just to make sure that if there is a heat wave, farmers are still covered for non-visible damage. Um, The other reason for using weather index-based insurance is that it offers a way to price the product. So what we have is we look at, okay, based on weather index-based insurance, these are the perils that we want to cover. What would be the cost of the premium in that way? But now instead of, and and so that is kind of how the insurance company prices the product using the weather indices. And then the picture-based loss monitoring is used within that product. So it's not a product that is registered separately with the regulators. That would be still um, a while to go. Um, uh, So so the picture, it's more picture-based loss monitoring within an existing weather index-based product. And this really helps making the product, keeping the product affordable. If it would be a standalone insurance product, Um, There would be separate regulatory processes required. Also, there would be more um, risk in how to, or more ambiguity in how to price the product. So that's why. Um, Then in terms of what types of farmers, um, is it used across the board or not? We looked at this in the first year, looking at, okay, what are the types of farmers? What are the characteristics of farmers and who is participating more? Um, what we found is, is generally there's not a lot of demographic and socioeconomic characteristics that predict uh, participation and take-up, um, but interesting to note was that we see lower participation among farmers with lower caste in India, and this is what we generally see in a lot of programs, that it's more difficult to get people of lower caste on board. Um, and also what was it really, and we were worried about the elderly, maybe falling out. Um, what we actually noticed was that there was an, uh, a u-shaped participation. So it was the youth being more likely to participate, it was the elderly being more likely to participate than um, okay. the the people at sort of an intermediate age. Right. So that we found really interesting and what we heard more anecdotally is that it was children helping their older parents. So young farmer, young like children of the farmers helping their older farmers in setting this up. And so, yeah, that's uh, in terms of of how participation is.
2: uh, One last question for you, and then I'll have one more, a couple more for Patrick to wind up, but uh, were you able to estimate how much basis risk you can actually reduce by uh, using the yeah, so
0: we have uh, estimates on this. If people are interested, I can share the the, dra- the working paper um, in which we are do- doing this. Depends, of course, on the specific metric of basis risk that you're using. Um, but what we found is that um, about, what was it, for farmers with severe damage, um, if we would have been using an area yield index-based insurance program, Um, we would have been able to capture around 40-50% of farmers with more than 50% damage. Um, And with this product, we were able able to capture 75% of farmers with more than 50% damage. And in the cases where we weren't able to capture that severe damage, um, it was often related to experts saying, oh, this farmer had severe damage, but it was more due to mismanagement or We don't see enough pictures in order to establish that there is severe
2: damage. Great, Patrick. We had just a question, a a couple questions uh, on your comparison between year one and year two results. So you noted, you noted in your slide that there was quite a dropout of people who who took the product up in year one and not in year two. You did mention that. Those who had suffered a drought and had received a payout were more likely to, to uh, resubscribe in year two. But it was yep. is the converse is the converse also true? Those who didn't experience a drought were those the ones that dropped out or or in generally what, what are the factors behind that group of 33% who did have buy the product in the first period and not the second period?
1: Yeah. So the uh, the effect of not receiving a payout during the first year, the the point estimate on that effect is negative, but it's not statistically significant. Um, and it seems to be that most of the most of what, what is really driving the the dropouts is the the increase in price from year one to year two. Uh, so the increase in price reflected not only uh, the uh, the increase in expected. Uh, Expected yield, so we, we 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 look at sort of a secular trend in yields over time, and you know we expect as time passes that the average yield should uh, increase, uh, and there the also the the minimum support price also increases over time. So the uh, the the value at risk um, is sort of secularly increasing as we move along. So that has an effect on the, the price of the product. We also increased the, uh, the, the, the administrative uh, premia that we as, you know, as researchers imposed to try to move this closer to what might be a commercial, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. commercial rate. Yeah. And so the, the overall effect led to a, a pretty, uh, well, I'm not going to say dramatic, but a, but a decent bump in the price from year one to year two. And that seems to be what was really driving people to, to drop out.
2: Okay. Good. Great. Thanks for that further explanation. Yeah. Um, well, th- uh, let me thank both of you. Uh, you know, um, I would invite all of you who uh, maybe I uh, didn't quite get to your question or if you have some more, to just uh, send uh, your questions in. Uh, you, can, you can find Berber's uh, email address on it free. Uh, is it on the presentation itself? We can We'll put that on the final presentation that we upload. So feel free to to look at that. And I want to thank Berber and Patrick once again for a very interesting and stimulating webinar. And just to announce that our next one is scheduled to be on October 4th on agricultural mechanization in Africa. So stay tuned. Thank you all.